Today, we're talking about choosing a sport. Now, if you are an athlete and maybe you play multiple sports, whether in high school or college. Now, the question is, how do you choose between the two or three when you go off to the professional level? For instance, LeBron James was great at both football and basketball. In the end, he ended up choosing basketball. Michael Jordan, he played basketball and baseball, but he ended up choosing basketball for the most part of his career. And then later he would go and try MLB, but that wasn't so successful. So he came back to the NBA. And so I ask you, my athletes, how do you choose a sport? Well, we're looking at that from a religious angle. First of all, as there are several sports that exist, and as an American, the first sports you think about are football, as in the NFL or NCAA or NBA or MLB, maybe even tennis. But you don't think about sports like cricket and and polo, archery, sailing or things of that nature. But nevertheless, there are a plethora of sports that exist in the world. And the same is true about religions. There are several religions that exist in the world. And so we have to be able to choose one on the religious side. We need to be able to choose the one that can best benefit us. And in my mind, that's the one that is true. And so today we're talking with Dr. Dwayne David Bryant. He is an apologist. He's a preacher. And the guy's just very smart. And so we're talking to him today about choosing a sport that is choosing a religion. And we're going to really get into the ins and outs of why we as Christians chose the religion that we chose and compare that to the other known religions around the world. So stay tuned for this episode. You don't want to miss it. Be sure to subscribe uh, to the podcast if you haven't haven't already. Be sure to share this episode and also follow us on YouTube and Facebook and also Instagram at fourth underscore quarter underscore Christianity. Now we'll get right into the show with Dwayne. Stay tuned. It is a mentality that shuns excuses and focuses on what's at stake. A mindset that resolves within itself that you must totally empty yourself to experience victory. A memory that remembers that who and what you are playing for is bigger than you. Brother Dwayne, I am greatly excited to have you on the podcast. Um, I have been reading your work, listening to you speak for quite some time. Never got a chance to meet you in person, but we're meeting via Zoom right now. And I guess that I have to do until we get to back or get back to some sense of normalcy. So how are you? Doing well, man. This seems to be how everybody's doing it these days. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. Uh, man, I just just want to take the time now. I'm not going to talk too much, but I want you to just uh, introduce yourself so people can know you better. Sure. Well, thanks for thanks for having me on. This is uh, always always a great discussion to have because this is something that's sort of part of my work. You know, um, dealing with Christian apologetics and helping to um, give people more confidence, which is something that that has been important to my work because I did go through a period of doubt when I was in you know college and and after I graduated college uh, because I had to do a degree in um, I did a degree in history. And 
I had to read a number of scholars who were very, very anti, you know, Christian in their, in their orientation. And that really puzzled me and kind of sent me into this kind of quagmire of doubt for a long time um, until I finally got enough graduate schooling to get the answers to, um, to be able to answer you, you know, some of these, some of these objections. And that's, that's what I love to do. And so you know, working with, you know, apologetics press and the daily apologists, I do a little bit of work with um, the Warren apologetic center. So, I mean, you, you know, you can kind of see the theme there and uh, you know, just my own you know, individual work with all the channels that I, that I, you know, put out my, my stuff is, is, is what I really enjoy doing. Uh, currently I'm, I'm preaching at the New York Avenue church of Christ in Arlington, Texas and uh, have uh, married with with five five girls, so there's lots of women in my house. Uh, I do have to take excursions for like you know some man time uh, every, every so often. <laughs> so, but uh, but when I'm not you know doing that, I'm, I'm typically either you know getting ready for classes or sermons or doing something apologetics related. Well, man, that is absolutely cool. I know uh, for sure too that you host your own podcast on the Light Network. If you wouldn't mind telling us a little bit about that. Sure. Yeah. It's called light from the past. And it's, uh, I started it out with a, a vision to kind of look at the intersection of, uh, the Bible and history and archeology. span And it's mostly like the ancient world, but I do get up into the medieval world on occasion. I'll uh, get out of the box a little bit there, but, uh, but generally it's, it's looking at, you know, some aspect of, of, ancient history or archaeology and seeing how it kind of converges with the Bible and then trying to get some kind of spiritual application out of it. Well, man, we want to, um, we want to talk about choosing a, a sport. Now, obviously in, in, when it comes to sports, um, I think about the first person I think about our first athlete is, uh, uh, what's the guy named that played for, um, Auburn, Bo Jackson. I think about he was like a dual athlete, played both football and baseball, um, even on the professional level. And ultimately, you know, everyone was like, oh, which sport is he going to choose? You know, which sport is, which sport is he going to be great at? Uh, most athletes don't get to do something that phenomenal in their uh, athletic career, especially on the professional level. Uh, one sport alone takes so much time and energy to commit and to discipline yourself and to make sure that you're playing at the highest level every night. But he was able to do that um, on both professional stages for quite some time. Just a phenomenal athlete all around. When we take that back to the spiritual uh, conversation of choosing a religion, there are several religions in the world. Uh, many religions that I've never heard of. I don't think they're identified as organized religions, maybe. But we do have sort of uh, mainstream religions, Christianity, Islam, Hinduism, and so many others. Uh, that we can, you know, talk about for sure. But um, as Christians, you and I both share a common faith. And I just want to talk about that, maybe talk about our religion and and help others see uh, why we chose the religion that uh, we chose, essentially. So I guess the first question would be, man, uh, what, what, first of all, what is religion? Let's, I want to start at the basics. What is religion and what classifies something as a religion? Yeah, a religion is, and, and there's no real you know, good definition for it. Um, there's no scholarly consensus on what a religion actually is because it's, it does have some different elements to it, kind of interchangeable pieces that are in some, but not others. And so one of the, 
you know, and I just, you know, just looking at some basic uh, definitions like dictionary definitions would be like, you know, belief in and worship of a higher power, uh, like a God or, or God's plural um, or a particular system of faith and worship. Um, but the problem with those definitions is you have religions like Buddhism that most of most versions of which don't have a God. It's, it's atheistic. Right. And so one definition I really like is by a guy named Luke Timothy Johnson. He's a Roman Catholic new Testament scholar. He says that a religion is a way of life organized around convictions and experiences concerning ultimate power. And so that sort of takes the supernatural or the, or the God element out of it enough or broadens it out to where you could fit in Buddhism into that definition and Christianity, you know, and, you know, cults or other, or, or rather new religious movements and things like that. But overall, there's no real good consensus on what it is because there are some things that differentiate religions from each other. And there are elements that, that one might have that the other doesn't. So, but, but basically that's kind of it. It's something that, that touches on your mental touches on your spiritual. It, it kind of is, is your behavior kind of, kind of works on that uh, about something that you believe about whatever is ultimate in this universe. You know, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. And it, it, that was the best definition that I have heard now. Uh, Luke Taylor was his name, right? Luke Timothy Johnson. Luke Timothy Johnson. Okay. Yeah. That was, man, that was phenomenal. Yeah. I know I had a, so in, in class, we had a conversation and I take a public speak, uh, public speaking debate class uh, sucks that it's online, but uh, we had a, we had a conversation and I was talking to one of my classmates and I know that he is a practicing Muslim. And I told him that I am a Christian. And one thing that we had a uh, uh, one area of the conversation that we that sort of got interesting was uh, where does the, where does religion come from? Many people believe that <clears throat> it is a uh, construct of humanity. Uh, we, we originated religion. Uh, we thought it up and then simply uh, sort of made it and made it out into the real world and invite people to join the religion that uh, we designed or we built. Uh, so I want to talk about that, too. What, why do we have religion, number one, and, and where does it come from exactly? OK, now here, I think I'm going to give a biblical answer to this one, because I think the Bible does actually kind of explain this pretty well. And there's two passages that sort of immediately come to mind. And one is in Ecclesiastes 3, verse 11, where, uh, where it says, God has put eternity into man's heart. And so there seems to be some kind of longing that human beings have that, that we sort of seek out answers to questions that impact our lives in the here and now as well as what's going to happen when we're not on this earth anymore, because, you know, we just look around and observe people die and they're not with us. Where do they go? Right. And so we have this kind of natural longing to answer those, those kinds of questions, uh, not just simply because of observation, but because we have that natural desire that God's sort of put in our hearts. And then the other one is in Romans chapter one, where Paul says that, um, you you have the um, ability to simply observe nature and you can view it and see something about God. In fact, he says that you could actually see God's invisible attributes. Um, he says his eternal power and his divine nature. And you can see those things just by just by looking around. 
And so simply by looking at creation, we, we get a sense that there's something there because why is there something here rather than nothing? Um, things seem to be organized a certain way that implies agency, right? And agency implies personality. So there's a, there has to be some kind of personal God, right? It's not just, you know, the force like in star Wars. And so you've got some kind of personality. You can kind of even determine the attributes. Like why is it that we have a natural understanding of the difference between good and evil and right and wrong. And when justice should be applied, right? There's, there's some that's, that's universal that has to have come from somewhere. So you've got organization, you've got creation, you've got um, intent, you know, a lot of things, they're all kind of wrapped up that gives you a sense that there's something behind what we see and what we experience in this world. And the best explanation for that is some kind of higher power, right? Some kind of, of course, in, in Christianity, it's the God of the Bible and other people explain it different ways. Uh, based you know, in part on on their cultures, but um, and, and there and there, I would say you know other people have looked around at nature and come to different conclusions, some which are closer to the truth than others, because obviously all religions kind of you know have have a lot of differences between each other. But but ultimately, it's uh, uh, I think the reason why we we have it is simply there's the longing. Where did it come from? Well, we can answer that just by looking around and, 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 and saying that we, we want explanations for, for why we see what we see. Uh, when you look at the sky and when you go outside, you look at the creation and things of that nature, you, you see what we call general revelation and the general revelation sort of expresses that, okay, behind this great design is a great designer. And the point that I need to get to now and my faith is to search or to know or want to or desire to know the great designer. And that comes to the specific revelation, which I uh, which I believe that we only get through the Bible. There's no way I can know about God or the God of heaven uh, and earth without uh, reading the Bible. Here's a here's an inter interesting question for you. Uh, when when people sort of look at religion, they think of strict rules. That's the first thing I always get. Like, how do you follow those rules? I mean, it's so many rules. Um, I, I want to talk about that just a little bit. Is it first of all, is it necessary to ascribe to a religion? Um, a lot of people don't believe that it is because of uh, you think about the Crusades and um, you think about when Islam was sort of uh, taking over the, the, the Near East, the, the Near Middle East, excuse me, and all the blood that was shared, the wars that were fought. Uh, many people believe religion is is toxic, and so they don't think it's necessary uh, to ascribe to one. But I want to ask that: Is it necessary to ascribe to a religion, and uh, must a person be religious to be spiritual? Okay, I think that it is almost inescapable because when you look at the at the the definition of a religion we used a minute ago, you could almost fit atheism in there. Um, now I say almost because, because atheists are so uh, hardcore against, well, I don't have a belief in a God, but they do still have some of the same behaviors that religious people do. Um, now, is it necessary to ascribe to a religion? Um, I don't think it's necessary. And a lot of atheists think that it's actually a problem. You know, Christopher, the late Christopher Hitchens came out with his book, um, God is not great, how religion poisons everything, uh, which to me was one of the greatest letdowns of, of 
any publishing title anywhere because he basically didn't prove that all religion poisons everything. It was a, uh, it, it was a nice catchy title that didn't deliver. Um, but then, you know, you've got um, the fact that even if you kind of take atheism out of the picture, um, it, it is shrinking. Uh, and so people seem to be just naturally interested in religion and, you know, projections that I've seen um, over the next maybe three decades, you up to about 2050 are showing that atheism will shrink by 50% uh, around the world. Um, it's still pretty, it's still going to be high in the West and in Europe in particular um, and in Western like countries, you know, Australia, New Zealand, but overall it's shrinking because people just seem to have that natural inclination and that natural desire. Now, do you have to be religious to be spiritual? And again, you know, here I'm going to kind of default to some, to some um, uh, critics when, how they answer this question. And one of them is Sam Harris, who's uh, one of the new atheists, him and Christopher Hitchens and Richard Dawkins. Um, you know, people may, may know these names. They're, they're pretty popular guys. And, Harris is vehemently opposed to Christianity and Islam, but he is a practicing Buddhist. So, so he is, well, he, he's, I think he says he takes principles from Buddhism. So he's spiritual, even though he's an atheist. So, so there, there is kind of a, kind of a disconnect there. Although the way people normally say, say it is, well, I'm not uh, religious. I'm spiritual. Uh, and to kind of divorce a little bit because maybe they don't like organized religion um, or the idea of maybe somebody else being in control or somebody else calling the shots. Uh, and so, you know, they, they, they prefer this kind of vague nebulous spirituality instead of an, a more organized form of, of something that's really kind of similar. Many people in my uh, generation are, definitely taking the spiritual route over the religious route. And it's because they're like you stated, they're trying to do away with the idea of having these sort of strict rules in place. Um, I remember one book that I was reading not too long ago. It's called, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist by uh, Norman Geisler and uh, a guy named Turkis. I forget his uh, first name, but he stated something similar or something of this to this effect that having religion without God, is like having a relationship without romance. It just doesn't work, right? And I was like, okay, that's uh, that's pretty good. <laughs> so I mean, it's uh, it's it's definitely one of those things that uh that people are are starting to um, ascribe to just being spiritual and not religious. But uh, thank you for clarifying that. Um, another area that I want to get into really quickly is uh, uh, are all religions equal? Now this is this has been a topic of discussion, especially in the academic realm, when you come and say that you are a Christian, and they always talk about um, acceptance. Um, and that is, you know, accepting other religions. You know, we all can be um, around together. We all can be true. Um, but they want to know, at least from my standpoint and my generation, are all religions equal? Religions equal, and are there fundamental distinction between those religions? Yeah. Um, and, and as far as the question of are religions equal, there, I think the answer is is no, um, because they all have different features that make that have that have exclusive claims right and and so you, you know for a while you know for decades it was kind of popular to say well all religions basically teach the same thing and i i think that's that's kind of a noble attempt to try to foster 
maybe a, a, a spirit of camaraderie and humanity, you know, and, and, and not be divisive. But it's really nonsense to say that all religions teach the same thing because they teach vastly different things about the world and humanity and ethics and morals. And, you know, it's only natural to understand that some of them are probably closer to the truth than others. Um, you know, you look at uh, even things like, you know, like in Hinduism, there's one, I think it's kind of a minority view where uh, if you've ever heard the phrase, it's turtles all the way down. Um, it's a story that kind of appeared at, and, and I'm not sure if it accurately fits basic Hindu beliefs, but, uh, or if it's just kind of a minority view, but there's this uh, story where, you know, somebody was asked, you know, well, the world is, is basically a hemisphere and it's, uh, it's supported by four elephants on the back of a, on the back of a tortoise. And you know, the question, well, what, what's, what's the tortoise standing on? Oh, it's standing on another tortoise. And well, what's that tortoise standing on? Well, it's standing on another tortoise. In fact, it's tortoises all the way down, you know, and it kind of ultimately is, is sort of, sort of nonsense. Um, but then you look at things like, you know, Christianity and uh, things like the big bang, where you have the secular explanation of where the universe comes from in the big bang. And when it first came out, um, you know, in the, in the 20th century, it was very heavily resisted by some members of the scientific community because it seemed like it was too close to the creation story in Genesis for it, too close for comfort um, for them. So, you know, you have all these different perspectives. Well, they can't all be true, right? They, they can't all, you can't say that it, it's just all natural forces or there's turtles all the way down or God came down and, and spoke the universe into existence. You, they don't all fit. They, they all are, have some mutually exclusive claims that they make. And so at the very heart of it, you know, all religions are not equal. Um, and then as far as the distinctions, yes, there are basic fundamental distinctions between religions. Um, you look at Islam and Christianity, for instance, where the, um, the, uh, the God of Islam is not the God of the Bible. And it's very, very clear. Uh, in fact, there's one, uh, there's one place in the, in the Quran where it says that Allah is the greatest of all deceivers. Whereas you look in scripture and it is over and over and over again stated that God is a God of truth, right? God is not a deceiver. He's not going to fool you. Uh, whereas in Islam, it's, it's not quite the same. Um, and then you look at Christianity versus, or, you know, monotheistic religions versus polytheistic religions, you know, one God versus many gods, that's totally incompatible. You know, you can't say there's one, but at the same time, there's millions like in Hinduism. So, I mean, there, there are basic, basic irreconcilable differences between religions. If you have exclusive claims, then there has to be some sort of contradiction between those claims and they can't all be true at, uh, at the same time anyway. So um, another thing that sort of got like talked about within recent months, um, of course, uh, the Christian apologist, Ravi Zacharias, most people, because of what happened uh, with the allegations and stuff being true, uh, most people are now turning a Christianity sort of has this black eye now in, in most people's mind. And they they sort of uh, I've been hearing this talk about, well, we we know that he was 
a man who spoke uh, at a variety of places, schools, talking to young people and stuff like that about the Christian religion. But Christianity surely cannot be true because of how he conducted himself, how he behaved. And so this this sort of get into this question that I heard because of something that he did. Uh, one one college student asked this question. It was like, if you have not studied all the religions in the world, because, again, Ravi came to the school discussing Christianity. And after what Ravi had done, this college student now turned to one of his uh, colleague, colleagues who came uh, to do uh, Christian apolog apologetics at the school and said, well, we don't necessarily believe the Christian religion anymore. And being that we haven't studied every, every uh, religion, how in the world can we know what religion to which we claim is correct? Is there a way that we can know that? Yeah, I, I think in looking at religions around the world, there are some that are sort of like variations on a theme. And, and, so, and so you can you can do a pretty good general surface survey of everything and narrow the field down pretty quickly, right? And so you look at religions that are uh, polytheistic, right? Multiple gods. Well, that's just simply unbelievable, right? It, this, this kind of division of labor um, among, among the different deities, it, it creates a lot of problems and enough so that, that, that you can sort of rule those out. And you focus on monotheistic faiths, right? One God. Well, there's only really three, right? The Ab what's what are called the Abrahamic religions, Christianity, Judaism, Islam. And so there, I think you start looking at those and which one has the most believable scripture. And uh, for various reasons, you can kind of rule Islam out. Um, you know, you have very, very, you know, pre-modern scientific understandings of things there that that are what you would expect from someone living in the sixth century AD who didn't know anything about science, right? And so, in fact, I was walking down, um, I was in Jerusalem a few years ago, and there was a, a Muslim apologist who handed me a tract. And it was, I think, nine different things, nine different examples of scientific foreknowledge in the Quran. And every single one of them uh, were very easily disproved. Uh, and, and this is like, these are the flagship, you know, top uh, evidences of, of, the, of the truth of the Quran. And it really took me only a few minutes to think of a perfect answer for all nine of them, you know. So which one has the most believable scripture? And then you're down to Christianity and Judaism because they, they really, you know, they're in the same line of, of, of history. And when you look at those two, it's kind of like, which one makes the most complete claims? Because you've got Judaism, which still has, you know, lots of prophecies that look forward. Um, some of those were fulfilled, like in the intertestamental period. Uh, but then again, some of them were fulfilled by Christ himself. And so with Christianity, and you look at the Old and New Testament together as a whole, you've got a complete text, right? You've, you've, you've got a, a sense of completeness in looking at these prophecies from the Old Testament and them being fulfilled in Christ or in the New Testament church. And so that really gives you that sense of, of completeness that, that Judaism, with just a reliance on the Hebrew Bible or Old Testament, doesn't quite give you. So you know, that's not a, that's not a perfect approach, but I think it does help to kind of show that you can narrow things down really quickly. 
And the, from then on, you just you just look at Christianity. Is it coherent? Is it you know d- does it prescribe good morals and ethics? Does it um, is it believable? You know, scripture believable? Does is it historically and archaeologically accurate? You know, does it make sense of the world? And I think for there, you know, for two thousand years, theologians and biblical scholars have said it makes the best sense of the world uh, of anything that's out there. I tried to break it up to three groups and here's what I came up with. So you, you have like the, the people that believe that only the universe exists, like the natural part. And you think of like naturalism, atheism, and those type of things. Then you have like the group that believes that both God and the universe exist, which would be, you know, Christianity, uh, Judaism, and other, other religions. And then you only have, you have a group that believes just that just God exists. And then you can have like Hinduism and others who sort of fit into that category. So it definitely, it definitely helps to group it. I don't know if that would help anyone, uh, but that has definitely helped me so far. So, but thank you for, uh, for clarifying that. Another, another question that I wanted to get into really quickly is uh, why comparative religion? Uh, that is like, why is it important to have a general knowledge of other religions? How, how is that beneficial to us as people? Yeah, well, here I think it's it's important to understand what people believe, um, and in order to be able to have conversations with them, and of course um, there are going to be differences in how we how we look at the world, and it's important to be able to navigate those things. You know, why do we see things differently? Why do we solve problems differently? Why do we have different ways of doing things? And when you look at you know the the final words of Jesus in Matthew twenty eight. Um, and he's he's telling people to go out and make disciples of all nations. They're going to encounter different people, and we encounter different people with different kinds of belief. And so, to to study religions and and have a general knowledge of them helps us to form a plan to reach them with the truth, right? And so, uh, for instance, if you were to talk to a Muslim, um, it is generally good advice to when you're talking about Jesus, find a way to talk about Jesus, but not mention that he's the son of God. Now, for a lot of people, that sounds like really weird. Why would you not do that? That's what he is. That's who he is. Well, you have to kind of lay some groundwork first, because as soon as you say Jesus is the son of God, what a Muslim hears is, oh, God came down to earth and had physical sexual relations with Mary and produced Jesus, right? And for, for them, for, for God or Allah to be pictured in that way is extremely offensive. So there's ways you can talk about Jesus as the Messiah because he is called the Messiah in, in Islam. You know, there are a number of things that we could um, discuss about Jesus that have common ground. And that, while it is absolutely indispensable to believe for any Christian that Jesus is the Son of God, that needs to be navigated very carefully so that we don't unnecessarily put off um, potential converts who, who, might, who might be able to see the truth once we kind of lay that groundwork and, and kind of work our way up to that, to that point. So, you know, I don't think it will be too far-fetched to... Uh, to state that you and I think that Christianity is a unique religion. We believe that it is the correct religion. Um, otherwise, I don't think we would ascribe to it. So I, I just want to get into that a little bit then. How how or what makes Christianity unique as opposed to uh, these other religions that are that exist today? 
Sure. Well, I, I think for starters, you've got a unique book, right? And that's it's kind of like, you know, what you mentioned a minute ago with general revelation, you've got specific revelation and that's, and that's scripture, right? What God has specifically revealed to humanity. And so that is unique. Um, it's not mythology, right? You, you go through and you look at the, the various characteristics of what, uh, of what defines mythology. You don't find that in the Bible, uh, so no characteristics of ancient mythology. It's not how, you know, you, you see gods um, described various ways, treated different ways, and you don't find a parallel in the, in the Bible there. Um, I think you see that it's free of the kinds of mistakes that other holy books make. Um, one, one I've already kind of alluded to is science, right? So you look in Islamic scriptures and Muhammad says that the sun sets in a muddy pool and he could go visit the place where the sun sets in this place, in, in this pool. Um, he says that shooting stars are uh, Allah's, I guess you'd call it a, a missile defense system against demons who are trying to sneak into heaven. Right. And so you have these kinds of uh, uh, s- descriptions of things that, you know, again, you, you, you understand they're, they're produced by someone who was, who was in the sixth century AD um, archeology, span you know, the Bible uh, you, you go down through archeological discoveries and they support scripture um, and it's timeless in its application. Right, Jude three talks about uh, the faith that's once for all delivered to the saints. It doesn't need to be modified. It doesn't need to be updated. And yet, when you look around at some other religions, it's like you know you have embarrassing elements that either need to be swept under the rug, or they need to be modified or updated um, with the times. Right? Um, you've got you've got things like um, morals and ethics, and other religions tend to endorse some kind of discrimination in some way, whether it's against women or against outsiders or non-believers, um, even with, with racial elements, you know, which is, you know, again, a huge topic in our culture right now. Um, on one hand, you know, for instance, you've got the nation of Islam, you know, white people are created by an evil wizard and have no hope of salvation in the Mormon, in the historic Mormon church. Uh, their beliefs were if you had a single drop of African blood in your veins, you were absolutely disqualified from holding any kind of priestly office. Both of these are equally repugnant, right? And so you look at Christianity, you don't have that. You have this marvelous view of everybody created in God's image, everybody uh, having the potential to stand on equal footing at the cross. And it's just a marvelous, marvelous view uh, of humanity that you don't quite find anywhere else. You know, and I think that uh, actually we we looking at that, you already a- answered the next question, man, which was sort of talking about how Christianity is. Uh, why should we believe that it is the exclusive way to truth? Um, we I know we talked a little bit about that earlier. Christianity is no different than the other religions in the sense that it has uh, exclusive truth claims. Um, being, one being Jesus is the son of God um, and that God is the creator of heaven and earth. And uh, you can go even further than that and just look at other exclusive uh, truth claims that it has. Uh, so one thing I wanted to get into next was the uh, the symbols of Christianity. I know this has been a topic of discussion uh, relatively recent as in the school that I now attend. And I just want to talk about that for some who may be a little bit confused about the symbols of, of, of uh, Christianity itself. So uh, first, let's let's talk about the symbols. Like, what are the symbols? Um, of Christianity and what do uh, the symbols symbolize? 
Okay, well, um, historically, there are there are a, a different um, symbols or descriptions, right? So you've got the most obvious, which is the cross. And it actually wasn't the first symbol for, for Christianity. It, it, it was kind of a later development, but it sort of became the most popular one. And maybe it's because of, you know, our focus on Christ, on the, on the importance of the cross in the whole scheme of redemption, right? Because without that sacrifice, you know, we're still in our sins. And so... Uh, without that, you know, no one is saved. Um, I guess it's a little bit odd uh, as a symbol because, you know, uh, I'm not aware of any other world religion that has a, you know, a, a form of execution as it's uh, as it's kind of defining, you know, defining symbol there. But but that's but that's you know Christianity. It's a it's a symbol of love. It's a symbol of sacrifice. What God's willing to do to 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 bring us in to have fellowship with Him for eternity. Um, you've got the fish, right? And, well, also lots of maritime imagery, right? Anchors, fish, boats, things like that was very popular right out of the gate. Of course, the, you know, Jesus tells, you know, his disciples, I'm going to make you fishers of men. You know, you're fishermen now, now you're going to fish for a different species, you know? And so, uh, so you have that going on and, and even some archeological uh, evidence of it. Uh, there was a, uh, the Megiddo church inscription uh, is a, is an inscription found at what seems to be the earliest church we've ever discovered outside of the biblical city of Megiddo. And on the floor of this church, they had lots of mosaics. One of them was an inscription, but another one had a couple of fish. And so this was like, you know, 225, 250 AD. And already they're using, you know, fish to, to, to serve as the, as a symbol of the Christian faith. Of course we do it today on the, you know, bumpers of our cars. Uh, some of us, um, and then you've got the imagery of the body, and this is something that's that's really out of the out of the New Testament, but it's one that I think is, and I, and I guess I'll use the word lovely because when you look at the body and the imagery that Paul uses of you know one body many parts, um, you look at humanity and what a rich tapestry we are of of different ethnicities and different cultures and different people and places and different appearances. But at the same time, we're all part of this one magnificent body uh, that is that is the body of Christ. And what a wonderful image that is that, that Paul uses to to describe us. When we think about Christianity and and Christianity being the correct religion, the, uh, the religion that is from the one true God, is it for everyone? Because and here's why I ask this. Uh, back in the day, and I know many uh, black Americans sort of believe that Christianity is the white man's religion. They believe it, it, it has a European style because of how Jesus is portrayed in West in Western culture. Uh, the long sort of blonde hair, uh, blue or ha- uh, hazel eyes, things of that nature. So they don't necessarily believe that Christianity is for uh, black people. And I've talked to her uh, uh a Hebrew Israelite before, and we had an interesting discussion uh, regarding how he thought that uh, you know white people are uh, repugnant and they're going uh, they're going to burn. I'm like, well, man, you're just going to the opposite extreme. So I mean, I, I think the truth is somewhere in the middle. But anyway, uh, I, I want to talk about that. Is Christianity for, is Christianity for everyone? Or yeah, see, that's the thing is that I think that's that's very clearly stated in Scripture because. In the text, you you don't discriminate against someone based on ethnic grounds. You know, I think Galatians three makes this very clear: uh, Jew and Gentile alike. And 
you know, you looking at the example of Jesus, I know in, you know, European artwork, he's, he's typically been portrayed as, as European. Of course, I mean, that wasn't the only inaccuracy, uh, you know, people, you know, in biblical times wearing medieval armor, you know, was another one, but, uh, but, but you look at the power of images and yeah, that does, that does stick with you when you see a Jesus who looks like he belongs in a, in a shampoo commercial, you know, with this beautiful flowing, European sort of appearance, and uh, uh, and and I can see how that would be off-putting to people, but at the same time, it's it's inaccurate. And you know, Jesus was Mediterranean. He looked Mediterranean. He was was a pretty um, pretty typical guy, you know. He, but and, and and that's kind of the thing is is that when he came to Earth, he came to Earth and took the landed in the culture. Of, of the Jewish people, which, you know, there was a lot of anti-Semitism uh, back at that time. You know, people in the in Roman Empire didn't have a really high opinion of Jews. Um, they looked at them almost like a, and, I'm, and this is very offensive, but they looked at it almost like they were an infestation. Um, and, and, and Jesus chose that, that form, you know, so that, that should tell us something about his concern for, for all, um, that, that, he, that he would take the, the form of a you know, I guess in, in today's words, we would use a, a marginalized person. And so that, um, that fits though with, with what God does in scripture, because, uh, in, um, in, in the, even in the old Testament, you have passages that talk about all of the nations coming to Zion, you know, and, and as it's sort of fulfilled in the new Testament, you, you have this, this image of all people of the world coming to Christ and, it doesn't matter where you're from, what language you speak, how what how what you look like. It, all of those things are surface details. What's really what's really important is are you um, behaving in a way that imitates your Creator, and and that's kind of the the deepest level of it. You know, are we showing love to each other? Are we showing patience and understanding to other people? Are we you know, willing to give them the benefit of the doubt? And you know put ourselves out to, to help others in need, you know, and, and I think you see that kind of concern, uh, even in old Testament laws where you have, you know, um, in, in Deuteronomy, where you have the, the widow, the orphan and the stranger in the land, um, P- law codes in the ancient near East, they made provisions for widows and orphans. The Bible is the only place where you can go to find this third um, category of people, and that is the stranger in the land or the resident alien. And now all of them could be victimized, but the way it was usually seen in the ancient world is your people group, you were like the real people, and other people were like some lesser forms of humanity. And so um, if you committed a crime against somebody that was part of your group, that was a big deal. You commit a crime against somebody who was part of a different people group, well, not so much. You know, there's there's actually an ancient Hittite law that if you practice black magic against a non-Hittite, that's not a crime. Uh, against a Hittite, that is a crime. You know, in the arena, Romans would dress up uh, uh, people, um, you know, people from different nationalities in non-Roman or uh, equipment to kind of like dehumanize them. And so you you find that. In ancient cultures, you don't find that in Scripture. In fact, what you find is is, is that Scripture kind of, the teaching of Scripture kind of overcomes those things. You know, I think the fact that we are physically here present on Zoom and that we have uh, alluded to 
our both being Christians will answer that question alone. Like Christianity is for everyone. And uh, I think uh, the more that people sort of uh, get rid of the misconceptions of it and, and, and understand that the artwork is simply a, I don't know whether to say it's a uh, presentation of the culture, maybe uh, what they thought about Christianity or what they think about Christianity and how they thought Mm -hmm. about Jesus. Uh, the last the last question I want to I want to ask is a little bit more on the personal side. And um, hopefully people who may be on, on the fence about Christianity um, can be able to make a more sound and, and uh, very uh, concrete decision after they hear your um, answer to this. Uh, why did you choose Christianity? Why did you choose to become a Christian? I think for me, it's the most coherent and it makes the most sense, and it answers the most questions. Um, uh, to me, it it sort of reminds me of this quote by C.S. Lewis. Uh, he said, I believe in Christianity as I believe the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. And so it's like, you know, a lot of people sort of focus on the source of light and you know, I like this particular way of looking at things, or I like that particular religion or that form of spirituality. And they maybe don't look at the ramifications of, well, but here's Christianity. And here I look at it and it all of a sudden makes sense of everything else, right? Everything else, all my other questions, all my other concerns, they all seem to have a place and they, it all seems to be able to organize that very neatly. Uh, Whereas it's not quite so much the case with, with other religions. So it, it, it's coherent. It makes sense. It answers my questions. Man, I love it. I love it. Well, Brother David, or Dwayne, excuse me, I, I thank you so very much for uh, being on the episode today. I'm so thankful that you took uh, this time and answered these very, very difficult questions that I have been faced with and bombarded with on a pretty regular basis uh, recently. So uh, thank you so much for that. Uh, before we before we head out, I, w- I want you to just give people, if you don't mind, uh, a way to uh, keep up with you, maybe the, your website where you do your uh, your articles and the YouTube page and things like that, if you don't mind. Sure. Yeah, I guess my my home base is sort of uh, DwayneBryant.com. That's D-E-W-A-Y-N-E, Bryant.com. And there on the homepage, you can see a, a sidebar and that's got links to, to everything that I do, whether it's a you know, podcast or you know, my blog or my YouTube channel or, you know, just, just everything. We, I, I've even got some, some stuff that's, that's called the Bible land passages that uh, WVBS has put out world video Bible school. And it's sort of a, sort of a documentary style, sort of national geographic style, look at, at ancient places and, uh, and all that dealing with the Bible. And it's just really, really, uh, really well done. So, you know, all kinds of things like that. That's sort of the home base where you can, you can get in touch with all the other stuff that I'm doing. Well, I thank you so much again. And, um, I, I'm just going to go ahead and, and, and second that please go and check out his website. You will not be disappointed. I promise. Uh, thank you so much for doing that. And thank you so much again for uh, taking the time to be on the podcast today, man. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Most athletes don't choose to participate in two different sports because of the conditioning, because there are different methods of conditioning or being in shape for baseball than it is for football. And so you, your body have to, has to go through different uh, training 
And the same thing is true when it comes to religions, right? Uh, religions contradict each other when they make mutually exclusive claims and religions do just that. And so trying to compare and even to jail religions together just doesn't work. And so you end up having to choose one just as an athlete would end up having to eventually choose a sport. And so I hope this episode has been beneficial to you just as it has to me. We need to learn about how to choose a religion and we're not necessarily going to experience all of them at the same time, but we can know some general truths about them that may put one behind the other or one in front of the other, but obviously to make a sound decision in the end. And so be sure to share this episode, like, and subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already, and be sure also to follow us on Facebook at fourth quarter Christianity, Instagram at fourth underscore quarter underscore Christianity. And also we're on Twitter too. I forgot to mention that in the, uh, in the opening part portion of the episode, but follow us on Twitter at underscore fourth QC. See you next time. Until then, stay safe. Good job, here.